Hey, it's Margot Tantau here, host of Windowsill Chats. I am so glad you're here. I have some tales to tell, some interesting stories to discover, and I'm glad you're here to do that with me. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. In the trenches, figuring out what the best way is to get something done, how to get something made, how to get your creative self noticed, how to make the best of a situation. And so I'm here to bring those stories to you and see if there's anything you can pull out from it. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet little corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble Like I need a friend Won't you come and sit in my windowsill again Spin our favorite records Discuss the latest trends Won't you come and sit in my windowsill again Hey everybody, I am just super happy to be able to talk to one of my dear friends and share her genius with you today. Lee Stanley is the artist, writer, and owner of Curly Girl Design. And in its 17 years of being out in the world, Curly Girl Design and Lee's line of clever and colorful greeting cards and art have really taken the industry by delightful storm. Focused on the magic of small moments, her product kind of shines a light into the corners of life and really taps right into the hearts of all. She founded Curly Girl in 2003. The company began with just 12 greeting cards, as you'll learn a little bit more in a second, and has grown steadily to include all types of gift and stationery and home decor. I think Lee could have had a second or third career as an interior designer. Her taste is impeccable. Curly Girl Design products are distributed all over the world. And as you'll hear, that has been a great learning as well. And even that is shifting a little bit. Lee earned a BFA from the University of Kansas School of Design, Go Jayhawks. She holds a couple of Louis Awards for greeting card excellence and has certainly been a nominee for many others. Originally from St. Louis, Lee lived in Boston for many years and she now finds herself back in her St. Louis stomping grounds with her husband and her two antic-filled, charming seven-year-old twins, Ruby and Graham. She believes firmly in the power of creativity and community to unlock our truest selves and is proudly living imperfectly with great delight. I bring you a really interesting conversation with Lee. There are some real gems in here. If you like it, tell a friend. There's a lot to learn along the way. My wonderful friend Lee, you know, I think one of the the things that happens in this creative, I don't know, world we're all in is that we tend to find our people and find our friends that we can really be ourselves with. And I'm really lucky that Lee is one of those people. There's a group of like-minded women, which Lee, I don't know, I think you kind of lead the pack, but there's a pretty good text chain going at most times. So I appreciate how you show up. I'm the Regina George. (laughs) Yes, you are. So I just wanted to bend Lee's brain a little bit and go back 
17 years. <laughs> I know a little bit of your history, but you know, what what made you decide that cards were maybe where you should start? Oh, that's a great question because this is like in interviews that I do, this is one of those questions that is akin to like what's the skill of yours that people don't expect and somebody says like I can fold origami with my belly button and everyone's like <laughs> what I did not see that coming I did not decide to be a greeting card designer <laughs> I had zero designs on this this is not my dream um this is going to be disappointing to a lot of people that no, I or maybe it's just like oh good that thing I don't know yeah like that was waiting. never like it was I had I, I never had that like someday I'm gonna be a great greeting card designer and work for myself. And it was not, I wanted to work for as many other people as I could. I wanted to, I thought I was going to work in magazine publishing in mm -hmm. the design side of magazine publishing. After you were an actress? Edit editorial. Well, yeah, after, after my mom talked me off of the lifetime of waitressing I would have done going to theater school. I thought I, I went to school for graphic design and thought I was going to be in publication design because it was the nineties and I was mm -hmm. obsessed with books and magazines and I wanted to live in New York. And that was what I thought I was going to do. Then I ended up getting a great job in advertising basically because I bullied them into hiring me, but I got out of school during the dot-com boom, which was awesome. Yeah, because <laughs> people like me were making stupid money because nobody knew how to use computers. Yeah. And not awesome because that bubble would soon burst. And I was always the last hired. So I was always the first fired. So in the span of relocating to a new city and a year, I had got two really, really cool jobs and lost both jobs um, because of the dot com burst bubble bursting and because of 9-11. So yeah, first one, then the other. And then I was like, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, because, you know, you spend so much energy and time when you're, especially if you're an art student, focusing on how to get a job. Yeah, for sure. And All perfecting your portfolio and showing people, you know, like crafting yourself into what everybody wants. And then it's this big get and you I could get a job like nobody's business, but I lost them and nobody mm. taught you how to do that. And it's embarrassing, even though it's not your fault most of the time. And I was young and determined not to go back home. The long and short of it is I didn't go back and get another big job. I decided I'm going to go work at my friend's yoga studio, which was really very transformative for me. Um, it was right after 9-11 and folks were really needing that space and it became a real haven for me. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to stay creative here in case I really need a job another time. And so I was just illustrating and writing on the side. And I showed my cards to my boss and she asked me to make some for the yoga studio and people started buying them off the walls. And I had this really, really like soul-filling job cleaning carpets at this yoga studio and great cash business on the side. And I was it was my version yeah. of Sex in the City there. And then finally, my boss was like, dude, <laughs> you should really do this. I'm like, oh, no, like, <laughs> I'm not, no, like, I don't want to run a business. That is not like, going to be. I am super bad at math and no, no way, Jose. <laughs> and she fired me and wow, was like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And let me like, yeah, good friend. Yeah, really good friend. And let me nanny her kid and it catered <laughs> and did the starving artist thing 
for a few years and and then was kind of at the right place at the right time. So when I decided, when I learned that I was supposed to be making greeting cards is when I showed this woman I was having drinks with in Nantucket, my little tiny folder of handmade postcards that I kept in my satchel. She goes, oh, you should be making greeting cards. Here's my call Dominic. He's my printer. Tell him I sent you and he'll give you my prices. And I just, here's the magic sauce. I didn't know enough to question that. I just was like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. And so we took my friend Jenna's bat mitzvah money and oh my, my laptop computer and sent 12 cards to Dominic and registered for the National Stationery Show. And when the card showed up, here's the other, I think that the reason that it worked is when the card showed up and this was 12 boxes of a thousand cards, which cost us $10,000 was wow. all the money that we had. They showed up on the porch of my apartment. And I was like, oh God, like, where am I going to put all these? <laughs> and the note on the invoice said, pay us when you can. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, did we pay him. I mean, we ended up doing hundreds of thousands of dollars of worth of business with him, but he knew enough mm-hmm. to give us that space. And of course, we were so determined to pay this man, you know. And we put those 12 cards into two boxes of mixed greeting cards, which was a just like a cardinal oh, sin, wow. right? Um, <laughs> and we sold them somehow at the stationery show. And we have... That's what you sold? Two boxes of mixed Two cards. mixed packs and the framed prints that I was making at Kinko's with Target frames uh-huh. that I didn't uh-huh. even know how to wholesale yet. And we... I think we broke even. Like, I don't even remember. I didn't know that you needed a booth design. I just showed up with my stuff. Like, right. I didn't know anything. And... Sometimes those are the best. I still have excellent friends that I met at that trade show and clients that bought from me then that still buy from by my line today, which is really remarkable because I had no business making it through that show. Um, And then I just put one foot in front of the other. I just did the next right thing after, you know, like I just got checked myself, my quote unquote business partner quit. She took her ball and went home, which was great. I I think at that time, I just was devastated because I didn't think I could run a business. Um, I really had a story about that and cried and cried. And my husband and and I, who were not married yet, shared this crappy apartment that we couldn't afford. (laughs) And Hmm. he's like, sat down next to me. He goes, this is really hard. I'm like, you look so hard. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's crazy. She took the laptop. <laughs> like, she had our one asset. I had a thou- I had 10,000 cards and she had our laptop. And he's like, you have 24 hours to cry about this. And he's like, mm-hmm. and then you need to Coach. get a job or run this company. Figure it out. And the only thing you need to do to get me to do anything is tell me I can't do it. And so, you know, I just woke up the next day and I decided that I was going to give it a shot. And every something about making gut decisions for me was very profitable. And that doesn't mean it was easy. It was really hard, but that's how it started. It was never going to be that. I mean, I was going to be serving drinks on Broadway for a long time. I feel like you're a person that figures things out and in a really constructive, positive, yeah, we can do this kind of way. And I, I, it probably is because you, 
you proved it to yourself early on, you know, all sorts of product. And what do you do when the company that's making your product goes out of business? And mm-hmm. what do you do when you want to make a product that nobody will make for you? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you have a lot of those stories. And for myself, the first time I ever saw Lee's cards, I'll never forget it. She's heard this a million times, but you know, we all used to send a lot of cards. I still send Lee's cards and many others, but I went into this store below in, in Minnesota. I was looking at the cards and I saw one and then I saw another and another. And it was the first time since Mary Englebright, not to date me and thank you, Mary, for what you've given, but that I bought every card right then and there because they were all so dang good. And what they said was perfect and how it looked was perfect to me and different, not like anything else. And um, I feel like, you know, what you said about just doing it and showing up, we all get so nutted up about having something perfect. But when you just show up, that's, you know, what people really think, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a, that's a tricky, that's almost a mastery that you, it's like how babies come into the world and, and are already perfect. It's that way with, I think, decision-making sometimes and ideas that if you, I mean, I feel extremely lucky to not have had whatever self-preservation measure would have made me question 85% of my decisions. And they get easier when they feel successful that, you know, there is proof of concept left and right. And they were not all great decisions, but they were the next right decision. And I made them authentically without, and my greatest joy is having made them all without having to make them by committee. And, you know, I'm an extremely independent, you know, butthead of a person who doesn't need lots of input or rather doesn't like lots of input. But, you know, I interviewed at Hallmark two times out of college because I went to KU and everybody at KU goes to interview at Hallmark and two times they offered me a job. And I was like, Oh, I just didn't, it was the time I like, I didn't want to work where everybody else worked. It wasn't, it was such a beautiful creative opportunity. And I just remember thinking when I was a few years into this business that it would have either never happened Mm -hmm. because it wouldn't have been allowed to be what it was going to be, or it would have happened in a weird way and belonged to somebody else. And that for me is the most successful thing I've ever done, even though it has been the single most expensive and stressful, (laughs) you know, gray hair inducing thing of my life. But it's, it's my greatest joy that it got to exist in the world as it was meant to be. And that I never had to run my writing through somebody who said, oh, that's not really our demographic because Mm -hmm. then it's not our demographic. You know, like when you're, when you're writing for sales and yes, I certainly have had to make extra birthday cards because birthday cards sometimes pay the rent, but I have never had to edit for someone else. I mean, against my better judgment, you know, I've had people make suggestions that were right or point out my blind spots or maybe you shouldn't say the F word so much or, you know, other things, but I've never had to say, you know what we need. And that I think is the reason that it it resonates for people because it's, and I, and I don't think, I think that's common now to see writing like that on greeting cards. I don't, I think 20 years ago, it was not a thing. No, absolutely not. Because the, you know, Hallmark has certainly put thousands and thousands of wonderful cards into the world and they saw what you had to offer too. But I think having had enough of a taste of it to know in your gut what you 
what you so eloquently said. Like, I couldn't agree more. I've tried to be, I mean, I'm certainly a team player, but I love making decisions, <laughs> man. I love I love making a call that feels right mm-hmm. instead of a call that feels right. And then it has to go through 42 other channels and, you know, it's never the same. Yeah, and when you make a come, you're going to make a dozen calls that are right and fine. And then you're going to make mm-hmm. a couple that are right and really hit it out of the park. And that's when it yeah. feels good because you like, see, and it, and <laughs> I don't know, I, I get jazzed about that kind of stuff because, you know, there are all only small victories too, when you're your own boss and you're running a small company, you can it's you celebrate alone quite a bit. So there's small victories and, and deafening issues and all of it. But, you know, I was looking on your Instagram today and, and you've been making things and, Mm -hmm. and you, you, you have so many people that give you feedback now that you can like that. I can't carry this for you. I can't carry this for you, but I can help carry you when it gets too heavy. And in parentheses, it's cool. I've been working out and it's on a big red heart. I'll put it on the show notes, but I feel like, first of all, you have an amazing gift with words and you're hilarious and succinct and smart and it all comes through in these and I appreciate Aww. that. You know what's really cool about that card? First of all, I feel like I'm entering this stage in my career where you're like, do I get 10 more minutes on stage? <laughs> you know, like you're like, mm-hmm. am I st- every time I sit down in my studio, I'm like, am I still relevant? Do I still have this gear? Is it still going to make sense to people? So the feedback that I get on Instagram and wherever else we post it and from the end user, I mean, feedback from buyers at the wholesale level is really different than feedback from end users. And it's both important, but the way that people buy and react to cards is very different than the way that buyers read cards. I get so much energy from that community. and feel like I've been I'm very protective of it because I feel like I've I've done some vulnerable work in creating it. And the very cool thing about that community now is I sat down every time I sit down in studio now, I put out a post and I say, okay, what do you need to say? Because my job, mm-hmm. I'm a scribe, I'm a storyteller, and I have I have plenty of my own stuff to talk about, but it gets really boring when you're only talking about yourself. And that's not who I serve first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And so I've started asking what people need cards for, what they need said. And I always kind of jot them down and I'll, there's a lot of repeat stuff, you know, everybody needs birthday cards, everybody needs bereavement cards and stuff like that. But you have some great niche things though that people use over and over. Yeah, and, over and those ideas come from people on Instagram and Facebook. And that card was, that concept for that card was submitted by a follower. I think her name is Kate Farr. I don't know what Kate does for a living, but she submitted this whole list of ideas. Mm, And that was tucked in there in, you know, different word. I edited it and added my own flair to it, but that was the one that stuck out to me. And Mm. she, I mean, it was, that was so fun to me that she was totally right. You know? And and it was so fun to me to get to take somebody's story. I don't, this isn't even a person I know personally and translate that and see, I have never gotten as many messages about almost anything I've ever done in the way that we got messages about that. And it's not even published yet. I mean, there's, it doesn't even exist yet. So that whole process, I thought, oh, this is what I do now. And I just loved that sort of chapter for for my work right now. Yeah, it feels like you watching you from 
where I watch you from, that you're, you've done a lot of things to grow your business, like uh, this product and that product and, and, you know, size and everything. And I don't know when we were at Alt this year and, and you were reading some messages on your phone, like people, you really touch nerves and, and, and get into hearts and get into, into people's under their skin in a really, in the way that they need. And I feel like you, like, they're not afraid to tell you that, like, here's what I need. And here's what you gave me with just being able to use the words on this card. And it seems like that is what you're doing. Like you're responding directly to your, to your user, to the people that send these, buy these cards for themselves and send them to other people. And that's a pretty big gift. I'll be honest. That is my one gift. (laughs) So I better use it. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like in little women, she's like, who is your one beauty? This is, that's how I feel is that my job here is to help us connect to each other. I mean, ultimately the way that it comes to me when I sort of meditate on it is that they told me to tell you to come back together. Um, Mm. That's what I want to put on my headstone. (laughs) Mm. Um, And that for me is the process of being able to serve up tools to help people connect to themselves and to, to see themselves better, to understand themselves better or put words to things that they feel and then to connect to one another in unexpected ways. I mean, the the bulk of our cards are not for occasions. We say we make cards for people, not occasions, because if my work is doing its work, you're standing in a store looking at it and saying, oh, this reminds me of my sister-in-law who I was not going to send a card to <laughs> this afternoon. But because this reminded me of her, I'm going to reach out and connect with her. It's not her birthday. It's not her anniversary. It's not a, another, you know, it's a reason to put a stamp on something because you are reminded of her, which means you're holding her near to you, even when you're not together. And I don't think we do enough of that. And I don't think we have enough tools to do that. And so that is when I feel like it's all working. (laughs) The fulfillment in that is much greater than making the, you know, an eight inch cake stand instead of a six inch cake stand. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was a time where I walked into the warehouse at my office and I looked around and I'm like, I made all this stuff. It was pretty cool. (laughs) It was cool. It was cool doing Christmas ornaments. I mean, I am not going to lie. It was not profitable. Yeah. It's just a lot to manage. But it was immensely satisfying to be able to want to put something out in the world and figure out how to do it. And have it happen. But there hasn't been anything that I've put out into the world that has been more powerful than $4.25 greeting card. That's saying a lot. I know things have shifted, well, for everybody, but I feel like you're in a big shift. <laughs> when, you, when you've been doing it for 17 years and you've tried lots of things and you still want to and need to be creative and it serves you and it serves others, like, what's some of the seasons of that and where do you feel like you your landing at the moment? Um, I'm recovering from some burnout and I say recovering because I think you're always kind of recovering from burnout, but I hit a big wall a few years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, running a business, having all the parts of my business and my life need my energy as much as they did was taxing. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes my my personal way to deal with that is to do nothing. (laughs) 
Um, so I had to, I had to really make some grown up choices about it. Do my best not to abandon what I had built because there's a point at which you want to like not see it ever again. But I had people depending on me and employees and, you know, contracts and all sorts of things. And so I did my best and we, we pulled back or we are in the process of pulling back from some of the more involved parts of the business. And for me, my mantra was every decision towards freedom because what I, what was most important to me about the job that I did do and that I do is the f- freedom over my time, freedom to make decisions about my work and freedom to make the money that I wanted to make. And so I made some business altering choices around that and I'm still in the process of that. I mean, <laughs> fortunately, I had made those decisions pre-pandemic. Uh, and so we were mm-hmm. taking steps towards that reality. But it, it's a hairpin turn on the highway. I mean, we were, we were going from very big to much smaller, but with more freedom. Now with more freedom. And it's looking like we might be able to pull it off by next year. So yeah, like we went from having, I think at one point, 12 employees and now I have two. That's in process and just letting myself experiment with other ways to be creative. And frankly, developing a rest practice was really important. This gets real woo-woo really fast, but learning about cyclical planning and how the way that we plan our time and our workload is extremely based on men and their productivity model based on their hormonal structure. (laughs) Um, And so I've been kind of taking a deep dive into how to be the most productive version of myself with the most freedom and doing the least amount of exertion. Like I don't want, if I do one thing, if I accomplish one thing in my professional life, it's to eliminate the notion of hustle harder. I want to kill, I want to be the anti-hustle because I just don't believe that it, I think you have to work hard, but I think glorifying the notion that we don't, that it's best if we don't rest or that we're somehow better at our jobs when we're not taking care of ourselves, I think it's just extremely dangerous. Well, it's been really cool watching this process unfold with you because I feel like you're you're paying attention to those quiet moments and hustle. You can hustle, you know, for three hours really hard or put it in a different place, put it out in a different way. And then you have, you know, you can make lunch for your kids or, you know. Yeah. I mean, kids certainly force your issue. And I had two at once. So that was intense, but I don't ever mean to suggest that you're not going to exert yourself. No, no. But hustling all the time for less is different than hustling as you choose for bigger payoff. Exactly. And just, yeah, pick your paydays, you know, like pick the things that are really worth your time, which is the luxury of 20 years of knowing what to do, you know, learning what to do. But if I could have done that sooner, I would have. Yeah. Interesting. Sometimes I just don't think we know until we know though. You can't learn it for somebody is the problem. Yeah. The next right decision, as you said. Well, I can't wait to see how it continues to unfold. It's really nice to have mentors and friends and, you know, all wrapped up in the same people. And good card writers. It's handy occasionally. I mean, we're not like doctors, but. It's true. But I really, I must say too, that when you're at that point in your career where you're, you know, you're successful and you're, you're in maybe a smaller circle because you've all reached a similar place then and and what do you how do you support each other then how do you support how do you kind of stay present and and share ideas and I feel like 
we're lucky to be able to do that with a small group of people that really supports each other. And I, I just, I think right now, especially for those of you listening, you know, find that group that you can join or reach out to people in a way that you can say, Hey, I see we're, we're kind of of the same mind or the same creative spirit or something, because I know it keeps me, keeps me going. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's just been the greatest privilege of my career. And you sometimes have to walk up to those people and tell them that they're going to be your friends. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, I've done that. Like Margo did. Highly. <laughs> um, or Beth, you know, Beth did and I did to Emily. And, you know, that there's, you have to go for it because that is the thing beyond anything. And, you know, beyond the notion that women should support women and lift each other up, even when you feel like you're in the same industry, we come from a, a very generous industry like that, I think, versus mm-hmm. some other you know, people in the gift and greeting card industry are fairly nice people, but it becomes smaller. The more you do your own thing and the more specific your niche gets. And I'll tell you, there's not a lot of female creatives who are also CEOs of their own company with their name on their products. Um, And I think I found like all six of them. (laughs) And thank God, I also really like them as people because, and I'll, and I'll say this, you know, my friend, if you want any advice, talk about the numbers. Don't be precious about your data. Don't be precious about your information. Don't be scroogey about any of that stuff because it doesn't serve you and doesn't serve anybody. And building that trust and that consult that we have has is better than anything I could have ever paid for. And also you'll have somebody to share a hotel room with. So it works out. Somebody to fill your empty showroom. Somebody to go tell you that you've been evicted. <laughs> Which also Hail happens to the support team. Yeah. It does. I just appreciate your I just appreciate those of us and the charge you lead on just making sure you are taking care of yourself, paying attention to your creative voice, laughing when you can, mm-hmm. you know, taking time. Yeah. And just don't ever think you're the only person that's doing this or needing this or confused about something. That's why I really, I really do feel strongly about just, you know, talking about money. I don't think we talk about money as much. I don't Mm -hmm. think we talk about people love to talk about failures, but they don't love to talk about how paralyzing that is. You know, they like to talk about failure in the rear view and how it made you a success. It does not ever feel like that. And it doesn't feel like success for maybe many, many years. You know? <laughs> and and then to be blunt, I think you need to show the underside of it. So when people ask me, I tell them the truth because it doesn't serve anybody for me to make this look. I mean, it's great for me to make it look beautiful and fun, but it's not all it is. There's a reason we say we learn because it's just, it's every day and all the decisions aren't good ones. And But making those decisions for ourselves, hmm. I'll take that over a cohort of many decision makers for the same thing mm-hmm. any day. Yeah, totally. And we're lucky to find those companies too. You know, me working, I've worked with for several, but right now with Studio M, I must say, working with kind people and people that have a similar goal and purpose, whether, you know, they're the friends you circle around with or, you know, the the people you go to work with every day or the family you choose or whatever. I mean. Yeah. I think that's going to be the future of the way that we make decisions. Oh, I hope that that's the, I think one thing to take away from sort of this weird time that we've been in is to 
I mean, we are, I don't think you go back from thinking about and learning how to vote with your dollars and be very careful about who you work with. I don't have an interest in doing a project unless the person or the company that I'm doing with it is an integrity with my you know, vision and and belief system and, you know, the way that I want things held in the world. And I mean, that seems privileged. That's a privilege of my experience, but... Yeah, for sure. I didn't... There were many years where I didn't realize that. Like, I thought it needed to be... It needed to look a certain way or I needed a name linked to mine or whatever it was. But all of a sudden you realize, <laughs> no, I don't. I need to feel right mm-hmm. about that. And I need to know that if something goes wrong, I can talk to this person about it and we're going to be on the same page and that even when we're done working with each other, we can be on each other's team because that doesn't, that relationship doesn't stop at one project. And I mean, I'm sure you feel this way that you constantly circle back to the people who were a joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's what I want as many of my professional relationships to be like. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for doing this cool podcast. It's so necessary. You know, I just feel like I want to hear real voices, real stories. Like you said, the underside, the the reality of it. And let's just keep talking. Yeah, for sure. Hey, thanks so much for being here with me today. I just love these conversations. They mean the world to me. I love being able to share with you these wonderful people that I have met along the way. They mean so much. So if you want to check out the show notes or my favorites or anything like that, head on over to tantostudio.com and I'll have everything there, all the details that we talked about today. So again, thanks so much for being here and feel free to head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple or Spotify, and leave a review for Windowsill Chats and subscribe. I will see you next week. I so appreciate you lovelies. Thanks for being here.